Welcome to the College Commons Podcast, passionate perspectives from Judaism's leading thinkers, brought to you by the Hebrew Union College Jewish Institute of Religion, America's first Jewish institution of higher learning. My name is Joshua Holo, Dean of HUC's Jack H. Skirball Campus in Los Angeles, and your host. Welcome to this episode of the College Commons Podcast, where I have the great pleasure of introducing you to Colin McCann. Colin McCann is the author of seven novels and three collections of stories. Born and raised in Dublin, Ireland, he has been the recipient of many international honors, including the National Book Award, the International Dublin Impact Prize, the Chevalier des Arts et Lettres from the French government, election to the Irish Arts Academy, a 2020 Jewish National Book Award for Paragon, and an Oscar nomination. In 2017, he was elected to the American Academy of Arts. He is the co-founder of the nonprofit Global Story Exchange called Narrative Four. He lives in New York with his wife, Allison, and their family. And indeed, he joins us from the streets of New York, where we may have some interference in the course of our conversation, but we very much look forward to talking to you, Colm. Thank you for joining us. Such a pleasure to talk to you, Josh. Let's begin by talking about the book itself, which will lead into the relationship that undergirds it. A Paragon is a nonfiction novel that follows two friends, a Palestinian Muslim named Basam Aramin and an Israeli Jew named Rami Elkanah, who together find common cause in their pursuit of peace, but also common tragedy in their parallel experiences of losing their respective daughters, Abir and Smadar, to the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. We recently, as you know, Colm, had the honor of interviewing your friend Rami Elhanan, who described the beginnings of your friendship that led to the book. And so I can't help but ask you if you would tell us that story as you remember it. Um, I met uh, Rami and Bassam uh, in November 2015 when I was on a, a trip to Israel and Palestine with um, my non-profit group in Narrative 4. And we'd been uh, with a group of artists and activists. We'd been touring around uh, for a couple of weeks. It was um, toward the end of our trip. It was a rainy Friday afternoon. It was cold. It was already getting dark. And we went, went into the town of Beit Jala, which is just outside Jerusalem, as you know, and um, walked up this staircase, this rickety staircase, into the room where two uh, seemingly unassuming men sat. And uh, they were pouring out coffee for us and, and welcoming us. And within half an hour, Josh, um, my world was completely turned inside out, upside down. My rib cage was pried open. My heart was sort of laid bare uh, by listening to the incredible power of the stories of these two men, um, each of whom had lost daughters in, in separate incidents and had, had come together against all available evidence, against all available odds to start, um, you know, a, a relationship that um, spoke to the necessity, not even to like one another or to love one another, but that we have to begin the process by understanding uh, one another. And I came back to New York where I live and I couldn't shake the story from my soul. Uh, it was just impossible. And um, so I decided then to embark on a journey, which eventually became a five-year journey uh, to write this novel, uh, A Paragon. And A Paragon is a shape with a countably infinite number of sides. I know it's a strange thing to wrap, wrap your mind around. How can a, how can a shape be infinite? Um, and, but it was a beautiful term in, in, uh, uh, to me 
for the idea that we're all involved, we're all there, we're all complicit um, in some sort of way, and 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 we all belong to uh, this particular story, and especially when you talk about uh, you know the the Holy Land, um, in a certain way, where everybody is is there, everybody travels to. Uh, Jerusalem at one stage or another, even if they only do so uh, metaphorically or through some sort of gesture, through their faith or their understanding. The book, A Paragon, itself seems to also to indicate that there's a countably infinite number of sides in the sense of partisanship, that there's a million sides to the problem or an infinite number of sides to the problem. It's quite a compelling image indeed. You composed a paragon in a very distinctive manner. In many chapters, you relate anecdotes and facts that on their face appear to be non sequiturs or tangents. And then you deploy the sensibility of these seeming detours to shift perspective on the emotional or narrative heart of the story, which is, of course, Rami and Bassam introduce us to one such example and share your thinking about it. You know, when I was writing the, um, the novel, um, after having spent a lot of time with Rami and Bassam, um, it hit me with the force of an axe one particular day that Rami and Bassam were telling the stories of their daughters over and over and over again. And the purpose of that was to keep them alive. Um, and that struck me then, that's a Shahrazad moment. That's a thousand and one nights. That's an Arabian night. And um, I knew I was writing a fractured uh, novel in, in, in the beginning. And I knew that I wanted to sort of disrupt the conventional narrative around, the, you know, um, around Israel and Palestine and write a different sort of book. What I didn't know was that I was going to do it in a thousand and one different sections. Some of them are one sentence long. Some of them are four or five pages long. Two of them are actually blank. Uh, some of them are, 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 are pictures. Um, some refer to, um, you know, ancient uh, weaponry. Others refer to bird migratory patterns. Uh, but nearly everything always comes back to Abir and Smadad, the daughters of Rami and Bassam. Everything comes funneling backwards, almost in a breathing motion, um, to uh, the story of these um, two incredible men and uh, their families. And they are incredible men. They, they have now become, um, you know, the best of friends for me. And uh, they're also heroes uh, at the same time. Uh, they, they're incredibly courageous. Uh, they use the force of their grief uh, as a weapon for uh, understanding. And um, they travel around the world. And, uh, you know, they, they, they've, they've come to the United States. They go around uh, Israel. They go to parts of um, the West Bank. And uh, they go to Ireland. They go to Sweden and, and so on. Telling this story over and over and over again. And, and uh, you know, I heard it so many times that each and every time I heard it, 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 it affected me deeply. There was nothing um, theatrical, rehearsed, or, uh, you know, uh, echoey about it at all. Every time I hear it still, um, it still breaks my heart. Um, Smidar was killed in a suicide bombing in 1997 in Jerusalem, and Abir was killed when uh, she was 
hit with a rubber bullet from a, uh, just a couple of meters away in the back of her head when she was 10 years old uh, in East Jerusalem. Um, and yet, these two men pry every ounce of light and every ounce of hope out of uh, their, their, their own stories and their own lives. There's actually a line from uh, the Mu'alakwat, which are those um, sixth century uh, Arabic pre-Islamic poems, a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful line, I think, which says, is there any hope that this desolation can bring us solace? And uh, I think it's a profound meditation on how uh, we negotiate the darkness uh, of the world and, and turn it then somehow to a form of light. And that's what Rami and Bassam do. And that's why I think they're incredible people. Having met Rami, I can uh, only agree. I'd like to investigate a little bit more about the structure of the book. There's another element to it, which is that, at least as I read it, there, the terrible irony of a paragon lies in its chronology, whereby we learn that Rami and Bassam had already established a friendship and dedicated themselves to a, a shared pursuit of peace before Abir, the daughter of Bassam, died. And in, mm. in dying, thereby created the horrible parallel with the death of Smadar, Rami's daughter. And as I read and later further thought about a paragon, I got a sense that you backgrounded that chronology and the irony that comes with it. So I want to ask you if that's indeed the case, or was I simply inhabiting the book's intrinsically nonlinear storyline? Yeah, I mean, um, it, it, it's definitely there. The, the, the chronology is this. So, so Bassam is 17 years old. He gets sent to prison for seven years. Um, while in prison, he becomes commander of the Fatah unit. Uh, and one afternoon, he um, uh, sees a, a documentary on the Holocaust uh, on, on, on television. And he watches it because, frankly, as he says, at the time, he wanted to watch uh, Jewish people uh, die. And as, but as he watched it, his world got completely shifted and, and, and disrupted. And he began to think in, in, in different ways. When he got out of prison at the age of 24, he uh, co-founded, along with a number of, of other Palestinians and Israelis, um, a very brave organization called uh, Combatants for Peace. Um, and in that organization was Rami's son. Uh, and Rami came along to a couple of meetings. It was, as you say, you know, I don't know whether it's irony, tragedy, um, but two years later, after he had found a combatant for peace, that uh, um, Bassam's daughter, Abir, uh, was shot. It sounds like Rami, Bassam, and their families were remarkably generous in sharing their story with you. What can you tell us about writing a nonfiction novel, not just about two people who are still living, but two people who became dear friends to you and a big part of your life, as far as I can tell. Well, it was incredible. I went to them and I said, uh, you know, Rami Pisam, I, I would like to write a book about you guys. And they're like, okay. And I kind of, <laughs> hold on a second. Uh, you know, they said, we've, we've had lots of articles written about us. We've had great documentaries done. And I said, but I'm not sure you really understand what I'm saying. I'm a novelist. I make things up. 
uh, I, I approach it in a different way. I'm interested in the texture of the human heart. I'm not interested in, you know, the facts and figures. I want people to feel this experience. I want them to, 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 to walk in the pulse of the moment. Uh, and they're like, okay. <laughs> and I, I said, you know I'm going to make stuff up, right? And they're like, okay. And I said, can you explain that to me? And they leaned to me and they both said, we've had the worst thing ever happen to us. There's nothing that can be done to us that, that is worse than what has already happened to us. And even if you get a slice of that truth uh, in the book, even if you only get a morsel uh, of it, something good uh, will come of it. And we trust you. And, 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 and please go ahead. And they trusted me. Um, you know, I stayed with their families. I traveled on Rami's motorbike. I walked through the checkpoint with Bassam. We walked in the hills. We sat out under the Jericho stars. Uh, you know, we sang songs together. We ate together. It was um, an incredible experience. And, and, and um, you know, I've written 10 books. Uh, and some books, you know, live for a year or two. And then you sort of see them fade off in the, in, in, in the background. And they don't always, you know, like hang around your life. This particular book, I think I'm going to be living with, um, you know, all my life because it, it, it was sort of an, it came to an apex for me in terms of what, uh, what I wanted to say about stories, about storytelling, about faith, about conviction, about camaraderie, friendships and, 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 and so on. You know, it was, it was an incredible journey and I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't swap uh, a moment of it. Sometimes it got difficult. It's really difficult for Rami to read uh, about himself walking into a morgue. For him to to have to re-experience that through the book was a difficult thing. But um, they they have both been incredibly generous about um, you know what the book says and, and what it does. And thankfully, they 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 both said that, that it's an honest and real portrait. And it, even though I did change some things. I think the texture, the deep texture of the truth um, is there. Before we return to the podcast, we want to let you know about digital learning on the College Commons platform. Beyond this podcast, which is available to the public at large, check out the online courses at collegecommons.huc.edu for in-depth learning, digital syllabi, assignments, inspiration for teaching, and one of our most influential courses called Making Prayer Real. Subscribe with your synagogue for all this and more. Just click sign up at collegecommons.huc.edu. Oh, and one more thing. Help us out and rate us on iTunes. But whatever you do, do not give us five stars. Unless we deserve it. Now, back to our podcast. I want to switch gears a little bit and go back to what brought you to uh, Israel-Palestine in the first place. And I wonder if your engagement with Israel-Palestine had anything to do with your experience in Ireland or your consciousness as an Irishman. Definitely. I mean, I grew up in Dublin. I grew up in suburban Dublin. It was a pretty safe uh, background. How and ever. Both my parents came from very poor uh, background, and my mother had come from Northern Ireland. Uh, and um, every summer, I would travel with her uh, up on a bus uh, to a rural farm in County Derry, 
uh, where I would stay for a couple of weeks um, each summer. And it was an incredible thing. You know, I was going to a different, a different land almost. I was going to an occupied place. Uh, we would stop, we would go through a checkpoint, the, soldier, the British soldiers would get on board the bus, uh, you know, uh, landscape changed, tensions changed, you know, uh, some extended mem- members of my family were, 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 were involved in the struggle and, 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 you know, I was confused. I was confused by what was happening in, in, in Northern Ireland. And to tell you the truth, I'm still confused today. And one of the things that I, that, 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 that I truly believe is um, that we need to, to be able to say, I am confused. We need to be able to say, I don't know. Because the disease of our time is the disease of certainty. When somebody comes along and says, this is my truth. It is the only truth. Uh, you know, or I am correct and you are not. And or I am correct, and you can only come into my room if you look like me or sound like me or have the same faith as me. That is certainty, and it is dangerous. Whereas uncertainty or curiosity um, is so much braver, so much bigger, so much more faith-filled, in fact. And, and I'm always reminded of Walt Whitman, who said, um, you know, do I contradict myself? Very well, then. I contradict myself. Mm-hmm. I am large. I contain multitudes. And one of the things that I think we have to re-embrace all around the world, but particularly in the United States, um, is our ability uh, to say that there are so many more than uh, one side to this, and there's so much more than one particular truth. And if we're going to get anywhere, we need to, as Rami and Bassam say, we need to start understanding one another because if we don't understand each other now, we're going to have to end up understanding each other six feet under. In the effort to understand each other, as you said, you need the curiosity to look. And I'm thinking of the Paragon. It seems to me like a circle insofar as it's got infinite sides. But in the mm-hmm. circle imagery, I'm thinking of the, the Jewish version of what Walt Whitman said, which is when the rabbis speak of Torah, they say, turn it and turn it, for everything is in it. And that obligation to, uh, to constantly be looking at different angles. So uh, here's the, our ongoing work in that. And unfortunately, we're stalled at the moment. As we record this conversation on May 13th of 2021, as we're speaking, missiles are flying between Gaza and Israel. And I'd like to ask you to share with us what you've learned or what you'd like to convey about the Israeli-Palestinian conflict that actually encouraged you against all odds. What I uh, wanted to get at um, in my pursuit of what was going on over there was the deep human truth that was behind um, an extraordinary friendship. And in fact, when you really look at it behind so many, if not like a vast majority uh, of people going to uh, the West Bank, uh, going to Tel Aviv, going to West Jerusalem, going to East Jerusalem, I came upon some of the most extraordinary generosity, some of the the brightest people uh, that I've ever come across anywhere um, in, 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 in the world. And, and um, you know, uh, there were people out there who were saying that, that 
certain politicians did not speak for them. Netanyahu is not speaking for them. Hamas is not speaking for them. It's so much more and um, more, more complicated than that. And and we cannot reduce it to um, simplicities because simplicities enable stereotypes. Stereotypes enable fear. Fear enables violence, and violence begets grief. And so, um, with all of these these dominoes stacked up against one another, what we need are people who are brave enough to stand up and 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 say, no, we have to stop these missiles flying from Israel to Gaza. We have to, uh, you know. Uh, speak out against some of the unspeakable things uh, that are happening to people um, on the ground, uh, you know, people getting um, taken from their homes and uh, children being arrested and, 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 and you know, um, things that are happening, uh, you know, in front of our eyes. We need people like Rami and Bassam who have the courage of their convictions, who are, you know, on the right side of history. Uh, to continue continue talking. I mean, uh, you know, I acknowledge that so much of this is happening on, on, you know, on several different sides. I mean, there's great stuff happening with, say, Beth Salem and breaking the silence and, 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 and organizations like that uh, in Israel. And there are good people that I wish we could access. Um, and we have to tell these stories over and over again. I love what you say. Uh, about the rabbi saying, you know, we have to turn it over, turn it over and, and, and look at the kaleidoscopic nature uh, of all of this. If we look at the kaleidoscopic nature of, of, of this, we will begin to see the, the true nature uh, of ourselves. And can this stuff, can this stuff um, you know, cure things? People think you're sentimental when you say yes, but I find that the cynics are sentimental. The cynics refuse to journey outside of themselves. Um, I think the true optimist is a cynic. Yes, she or he knows how dark it, uh, the world happens to be, but that's no great revelation. The great revelation comes when you vault away from the cynicism and you try and find some sort of common ground. And Rami and Bassam would say, elementally, you know, we have our common humanity. That's not, uh, uh, you know anything um, sentimental, that's a, you know, a deep, deep, deep truth. And we need people around us, whether they be school kids, whether they be politicians, whether they be people on the TV station or artists, uh, telling that story over and over and over again. Um, and that's where the repair, the Tikkun Alam uh, uh, comes about. That's where, you know, we access uh, you know some of the, some of the great aspects of uh, of our, our character. Well, Colin McCann, thank you for being one of the artists who cracks open some of that light, and for the generosity of spending some time on this really lovely conversation with you. It's been an absolute pleasure, and I hope that we'll have other opportunities for our paths to cross. I hope so too, and thank you for the chance to speak with you. And and you know, keep up the good work because people say that that the world is knit together with uh, you know atoms or quarks or whatever, but I actually think the world is knit together with uh, with stories. And it's people like yourself who give you know me and and Bassam and and and, and Rami a, a chance to speak to the world that uh, you know help legislate that. So that's uh, deeply appreciated. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the College Commons Podcast, available wherever you listen to your podcasts. Or, 
at the College Commons website, collegecommons.huc.edu, where you can also stay tuned for future episodes.